It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Good evening, everyone. We begin the readout tonight with breaking news. Donald Trump's former vice president, Mike Pence, has been subpoenaed by special counsel Jack Smith. A source familiar with the matter tells NBC News Smith is tells NBC News Smith is overseeing the dual probes involving Pence's former boss regarding the classified documents Trump took with him to Mar-a-Lago and the January 6th attack on the Capitol. Now, we do not know exactly why he has subpoenaed Pence and if it is in reference to one or both of these probes. But when a former vice president of the United States is subpoenaed. It is a big deal. According to ABC News, which was the first to report this news, it follows months of negotiations between federal prosecutors and Pence's legal team. Not surprising, but spokespeople for both the former vice president and the special counsel have declined to comment. Joining me now is my colleague and anchor of The Beat, Ari Melber, Peter Strzok, former FBI counterintelligence agent, and Charles Coleman, a former prosecutor. And Ari, I'm going to start with you. It is a big deal um, but it is not a specifically big deal because we don't know exactly what these probes are about. But can you just give us some context um, as to, you know, what this means? Uh, number one, it means the special counsel Jack Smith is going up the line. This is very near the top vice president. We all know. Number two. After that, you have Donald Trump, the former president. So they're going up the line to get this information. Number one. Number two, it means that for whatever reason, they've determined that they're not getting it easily voluntarily. Now, that doesn't mean anything bad per se. It means either they have a witness who doesn't want to testify in Mike Pence or they have Mike Pence's lawyer saying this is a tough one. If it comes out that there's a subpoena, it would make it easier for them. It could be a strategy. And number three, the New York Times is now reporting just moments ago. You and I have been in the newsroom figuring it out as we go that it is related to January 6th. So number three, it suggests that special counsel Smith really needs to get more information to decide whether to charge other people with a crime. So um, on a big news night like this, I think of Lil Durk, the feds listening. The feds will be listening to Mike Pence. They will win this battle if he fights it. They will sit him down. They will put him under oath and they'll be listening to his answers when he's asked. Did Donald Trump know about the violence? Did he coordinate with the militias? Did anyone in the White House say to you up until the 6th that they had kind of a plan to do this? A lot of people have those theories and plots. That doesn't get you anywhere. You need the hard evidence. If he says yes to those questions, more people could be indicted. So here's the thing. Mike Pence, um, now that we understand that this is about January 6th, Mm -hmm. Mike Pence is both a a witness and the potential victim. Yeah. We know that Mike Pence was reluctant to get into the car with the Secret Service agents in front of him saying, like, I don't know where you're going to take me. He seems to have understood how much danger he was in. People were chanting to hang him. People brought a noose for that purpose. And his participation in certifying the election was what was required. That was the ceremonial duty that he had to accomplish. So he's pivotal to January 6th, but not as somebody who necessarily was in on the plot. It feels from the January 6th hearings. Like people were making plans about 
him, but on that day, then trying to pressure him with preordained plans. So if you're a prosecutor looking at Mike Pence, first of all, the fact you have to subpoena, maybe that means they're going to assert some sort of privilege or whatever. But are you thinking of him as somebody who implicates who? He could implicate Secret Service folks, right? I mean, I'm just wondering because he doesn't seem to have known what was happening until that day. Well, you make such a great point, as you often do, because this is intersecting. Yeah. Many people, to your point, saw Pence as a potential co-conspirator. And based on the evidence we have, not just what he says, which might be self-serving, but other evidence, he did not decide to join the conspiracy. That's why he certified on the 6th. That's why we have text messages that he may not have known were sent when Republicans who literally were trying to commit voter fraud and elector fraud on the Senate floor doing it dirty. We have the evidence. And when they brought the fraudulent materials, this was the Wisconsin slate, his folks said, no, they don't even want his literal fingerprints on it. So right. to your point, they saw him as a co-conspirator potentially, but he didn't play along. Right. The Secret Service plot is another one where, again, in a, in a in that kind of witness interview, they're going to ask him, were you just suspicious? Were you just fearful? That's right. Or did you know, had someone told you, yeah. there's someone on the team that might try to do you harm? They're yeah. already outside. Yeah. Was there an inside plot? There's a big difference between I was being careful and, and fearful, which right. might be an honest answer. And yeah. no, I had evidence that there were people inside the U.S. government, potentially, allegedly, yeah. trying to close the circle on yeah. the coup plot. Yeah. And, and Charles, Coleman, let me bring you in on this same point, because Mike Pence seemed to know something. Because he went to the trouble of going to a previous vice president of the United States to ask him if it was legal, if it was feasible in any way for him to participate in saying no to the elector slate that was being presented to him. He did check on that. So he had some knowledge and some idea that there was thinking inside of Trump world that they could somehow stop the certification. So if you're thinking about him as a witness, you know, where do you go on this? Because, you know, to Ari's point, people at least at some point thought of him as a co-conspirator, but he then winds up being the potential victim. Well, Joy, I think that there are a number of things that are raised by the subpoena of Mike Pence. Number one, the question becomes, what did he know and how early did he know it? I think all of that information is what Jack Smith is looking to get and going to be extremely valuable to him. But I want to make another point that I've talked about on a number of different platforms. When you come for the king, you cannot miss. And I've been saying that. And one of the things about Jack Smith's investigation that this is illustrating is that he's going to the very top to try to get as much credible information from people who were in the know in order to be able to try this case eventually. If I'm Jack Smith, I'm thinking about who is the most credible voice that can give me testimony in front of a jury of someone who would absolutely have known what Trump knew and when he knew it. And there, you get no better than Mike Pence. I think that that's one of the things that people have to understand. When you're thinking about this case as a prosecutor, you want to have witnesses that are going to be convincing to a jury and going to be super credible. And in this case, that does not get any better than Pence, the former vice president. So that's one of the reasons why I think Uh, He's going to be an extremely important witness for Jack Smith. And one of the reasons why I'm not surprised to see him actually subpoena uh, former Vice President Mike Pence in this case. Uh, We also can say that separately, uh, Trump's former acting deputy uh, Department of Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf was interviewed by the Justice Department lawyers in recent weeks. Um, You've had multiple people now interviewed. Um, Wolf's former deputy Ken Cuccinelli testified last month before a federal grand jury as part of Smith's election interference probe. Lots of people are being pulled in. Um, Peter Strzok, if you're but if you get to talk to the one closest to the king, Mike Pence, what do you want to know? 
Well, I think you're absolutely right. This is pretty much the last step before you approach Trump. The fact is that Pence was present in any number of meetings in December and January, in particular meetings on January 4th and 5th with John Eastman, where apparently John Eastman told the president was encouraging this fake election to set aside uh, counting certain states and to delay and then some question about whether or not that was lawful or not. And Trump and the reason that's important is if Trump is going to try and claim that he acted on the basis of advice of counsel, you need to know what those discussions were in terms of saying, is this lawful, isn't it? Now, the reason we know about all of those conversations is because Mike Pence wrote an editorial at the beginning of November last year about all of these meetings in advance of his book coming out, where he talked about all of that. So you can't very well go into a grand jury and claim executive privilege when everything you're trying to claim privilege is something you talked about in your book and in the Wall Street Journal three months ago. Yeah. So I think these are absolutely critical discussions that are going to really show not only where Pence might have been a victim, but also explore those areas where Trump might try and use his defenses to any sort of charge. And let me and I'll throw this out to you, any of you, but I'll start with you, Charles. Is there any possibility that some sort of uh, I think we don't have Charles's audio and then I'm going to give it to you, Ari, is it, the ball goes to you. This idea of potentially trying to claim privilege, it doesn't feel like there's any way to do that to the points that Peter Strzok just made. A lot of this is publicly known. And we just had a January 6th probe that was very thorough that went through a lot of this information. Any chance that there could be anything that stands in the way of this interview? It's going to happen. It has to happen. It's going to happen. The vast majority of the material they would want is not going to survive a real privilege review. The, the, the vice president, the former vice president, is entitled to the courts. Um, that process could delay it a little. Um, um, and there may be somewhere in there little pieces, oh, this question goes to something else and is not a crime and is privileged. It's possible. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, we're talking about um, unlawful orders, demands to commit crimes, um, demands to do things that are not in any way privileged. If anything, quite the opposite. Uh, a judge is going to look at that and say, no, you got to tell the truth about that as yeah. they investigate a crime. So, no, I don't think he has a strong leg there. It might be a delay tactic. And Charles, you know, you, you and I have, I think, been similarly skeptical of the, the idea that you can prove, right? And you've said this before. In order to prove that Donald Trump was part of the entire seditious conspiracy, including the part that involved violence, he'd have had to know that the people that he was empowering to march to the Capitol could commit violence and that they would commit violence on his behalf. You have to connect those dots. In your mind, where does Pence fit into this investigation of whether or not you can tie Trump to the whole thing? Because he was not somebody who would have been privy to the idea that violence could be committed because it was going to be committed against him. If it was going to happen, it was going to happen to him, not not because he wanted it. Well, Joe, I think a large part of that is going to be very circumstantial in terms of being able to establish that. One of the ways that I think it could come about is if Mike Pence is able to confirm who Donald Trump was in touch with or who Donald Trump may have spoken to or told him he's who he spoke to. And then later confirm what those groups or what those persons had talked to about uh, whatever level of violence they may have been prepared for. So I think it would be indirect. I think it's going to pre present a very significant evidentiary hurdle if you talk about being at trial. Yeah. But I do think that's one of the pathways that Jack Smith could use to try to establish just what you're talking about. Yeah, you know what I want to know? I want to know that entire conversation that he had with those Secret Service agents. That is what I would know if I was in that room. Uh, Ari Melber, thank you for allowing me to hold you over uh, into the 7 o'clock hour, sure. my friend. Thank you very much. Charles Coleman, thank you very much. Peter's going to stick around because up next on the readout, the Republican Republican-led Weaponization of Government Committee holds its first hearing. And yes, yes, it was just as embarrassing as everybody predicted. The readout continues after this. 
Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. The MAGA Republican Party is showing, once again, that it is the party of personal grievances, using what power they now have to turn congressional oversight into, well, an airing of grievances. That was the real purpose of today's first hearing of House Republicans' new Select Committee on Weaponization of the Federal Government, a decidedly unserious effort to fan the flames of conspiracies about a deep state and right-wing persecution complexes. Former January 6th Committee member Jamie Raskin, called as a witness, noted that even the subcommittee's name is nothing more than a psychological projection from the Trump supporters in control. Not because weaponization of the government is its target, but because weaponization of the government is its purpose. Trump and his obliging sycophantic attorney generals like Jefferson Sessions and William Barr repeatedly pressured career prosecutors to go hard or go soft in particular cases, always seeking to reward Trump's friends or to punish his enemies. If weaponization of the Department of Justice has any meaning, this is it. The John Durham special counsel investigation was set up in 2019 by Barr to try to find wrongdoing by intelligence or law enforcement agencies in the origins of the Mueller investigation. It couldn't find anything of substance to it. Yet Barr and Durham kept pressing in clearly abusive ways. I hope your subcommittee will investigate. Of course, subcommittee chairman Jim Jordan isn't going to do that, nor will he investigate how Trump's weaponization culminated in using the Justice Department to try to overturn an election. Because this is nothing more than Republicans nursing their own weird, incessant self-pity and self-victimization, their anger that their cultural priorities are not mainstream or that their favorite conspiracies are not believable. And it's all designed to turn a government platform into an axe-grinding farce. The White House called it out for what it is, the Fox News reboot of the House Un-American Activities Committee with a political stunt that weaponizes Congress to carry out the priorities of extreme MAGA Republicans in Congress. Now, with that in mind, Republicans invited right-wing media favorites, Fox News talking head and former Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard, Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley, and the Senate's leading conspiracy theorist, Ron Johnson. If you don't watch Fox News or read Breitbart or The Daily Caller, you'd probably have no idea about the MAGA fever dream stew that occupies their minds, while most Americans are more concerned about things like, I don't know, the price of eggs, which was presented today in a litany of their own personal complaints, slights and delusions. As one example, look at Crossfire Hurricane. The Justice Department and the FBI are suffering 
from a political infection. As we sit here today, the danger is that if we choose to reject or challenge whatever those in power declare is the so-called truth, we are accused of being anti-authority. The genesis of the impeachment saga has yet to be fully investigated. Serious questions regarding instances of unequal application of justice and violation of January 6th defendants' due process rights remain unanswered. Joining me now is Tim Miller, writer at large uh, for The Bulwark and an MSNBC political analyst. And uh, Peter Strzok is back with me. I, I just want to play for you guys the, the real purpose of this thing, this this committee. Uh, and it was spoken by Jim Jordan, uh, not in front of Congress, but at, rather at CPAC last summer. Here he is explaining what we're doing here. All those things need to be investigated just so you have the truth. Plus, that will help frame up the 2024 race. When I hope and I think President Trump is going to run again and we need to make sure that he wins. Tim, isn't it what this is about? I mean, this is really it it reminds me when Kevin McCarthy said, you know, the little thing called the Benghazi hearings. It's going to make sure that Hillary Clinton's never president of the United States. Oops, did I say that in my outside voice? Yes, I did. This is literally an attempt to take all the conspiracy theories that people believe on 4chan and put them, give them the imprimatur of some sort of congressional hearing so they can use it. In the election, am I? Where am I wrong? Am I? What am I missing? You're not missing much, Joy. Uh, I suffered through about three hours of this hearing today. Just <laughs> uh, that's my penance for your uh, for your viewers. Uh, you know, for any past crimes. And I got to tell you, I look. This is all about the uh, self-important uh, uh, delusions of the Republicans on on this committee. Uh, they want to be able to raise money. Uh, they want to be able to have little viral video clips that they can play in conservative media. Uh, to help increase their fame and help increase their visibility among among their base. And then I think that the best case scenario, the cherry on top, is that one of these subpoenas that they're just papering the whole federal government with will turn over something that they can use uh, in the 2024 campaign uh, because they don't have any basis for, for what they're doing. I think that there's, there's the additional uh, element of this, which is the funniest part of it, I guess, uh, is that, uh, you know, they just want an airing of the grievances. Yeah. It's a little festivus. Uh, you know, <laughs> Tulsi today was up there. She literally said today that, that social media, the big tech companies prevented her from doing well in the primary, in the Democratic primary. I was like, no, I, I think that running on a Tucker Carlson platform in the Democratic primary is why you didn't do well in the Democratic primary. I don't think it was a conspiracy by big tech or the deep state. Yeah. But, but so I think that's the funniest part. But I think their political aims is hopefully like the Benghazi hearings did with the Anthony Weiner laptop or excuse me, with the, with the Hillary uh, um, server that that something will come up that they yeah. can use politically. They want something to stick, right? And 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 the thing is that the things that they believe their conspiracy theories are so wild and out there that they can't get legitimate media to pursue them because they are in they are just bananas and no one has time for that. And so they're using their power to just play this game so that they can seem legitimate. But you know it would be hilarious, Peter, if it weren't so dangerous. I mean, Stacey Plaskett was the ranking member on this um, this farce of a committee. You know, she's made the point that you have people showing up in body armor and AR-15 rifles to FBI offices. You know, the Cincinnati field office uh, having that kind of an attempt on them. You have people going in and threatening to blow up FBI offices, targeting individual uh, officers, uh, FBI agents. This is actually putting people in, in, at risk because people who are sitting at home, you know, doom scrolling these things on 4chan or, or, you know, binge watching Tucker Carlson, they think these things are real and that they're is some sort of war against them being waged by the FBI, and they actually want to hurt people, some of them, not all of them, but some people will get violent. 
No, I think that's absolutely right. And I'm very glad she made that point right at the beginning, because the fact of the matter is, like, you know, I'm sure like Tim, I was sitting there chuckling at some of the, it's like listening to your great uncle Charlie complaining <laughs> about his sciatica again while you're waiting for the turkey to get done cooking. But it's just, the reality is, though, that while the average person will look at this and say it's nonsense, there is a significant part of the population who has lived in this kind of bizarro land where the government is the deep state, where the FBI in particular and other law enforcement agencies are targeting Trump. They're going to target them and you best go get ready and be locked and loaded for 2024. And unfortunately, all it takes is the one-tenth of one percent who decides that they need to take up arms and as we've seen with attacks on FBI field offices, with threats to judges, this is not some idle you know, supposition. That threat is real, it's occurring, and it's ongoing. And these hearings and the projected next two years of hearings are going to do nothing but fan that flame of the crazy edge who is willing to go out and engage in violence. And the thing is, if they wanted to do a legitimate weaponization of government hearing, you'd have to do something about what happened in the January 6th scenario where you had— Trump's people trying to weaponize the DOJ, where you had an FBI agent who actually has now been arrested because he was participating um, in an attempted sort of plot to sort of set up Hillary Clinton. You have actual issues that the FBI has had. You know, The Intercept has a story about now about the FBI having paid a violent felon to infiltrate the racial justice movement in Denver. You know, you've got these issues with the New York FBI. There are actual things. This Mr. McGonagall, a senior FBI official um, who's been charged with aiding a Russian oligarch. Like there are things that you could legitimately do oversight over, Peter, that would actually matter and would make sense. But they're not doing any of that. No, well, that's the absurd part of it. They are accusing people of doing things that they themselves have done. Now, hopefully, now we see out of the Senate Judiciary Committee an actual look into the weaponization of the Department of Justice, some of the outrageous things that Bill Barr did, not just with John Durham, but with Jeff Jensen and rolling back Mike Flynn and Roger Stone and all these things, which truly did weaponize the Department of Justice. Now, there's no, there's snowball's chance in, you know, hell that that ever happens on the House side. But you're right. The reality is there are legitimate oversight things that are going on. But that's not what this is. This is performance art. I think Tim's absolutely right. It's designed to create a soundbite for Tucker. It's designed to go in an email where they can click a button and have 90 cents go to Trump and 10 cents to them. It's, it's just performance. And unfortunately, it's boring performance. But I think the, the calculation is it works for them. You know, the thing is, Tim, you know, the, the, the irony is there is a long conversation that folks on the left and African-Americans have been having about the weaponization of government against vulnerable communities. You can talk about whether it was against the anti-war movement during the, you know, the early 2000s or against Dr. King, against the civil rights movement. Like there are actual things. But Republicans also don't want history. So they don't want to remember any of the real weaponization of government that's happened in, in some cases, the recent past, I feel like, and I, you, you, you've been inside the Republican world, that there's almost an envy of the victimization that communities of color and that marginalized people have faced and that they envy being the victims of persecution. Nobody of color wants to be the victims of persecution. This is not something to be envied, but it feels like they envy it. Boy, you really hit the nail on the head on the psychology of this, Joy, but I, you know that is this driving element within the Republican base right now, right? It's it's they want to be the ones that are put upon. It explains, you know, why they've lost elections. It explains then why, you know, maybe their kids' politics are different than them or they feel like the country is getting away from them, right? Like if, if they can say, oh, 
it's this conspiracy that explains why this is happening, and I'm the and I'm the put upon one. You know, then uh, you know th- that undermines kind of the credibility of these complaints that come from people of color, yeah. right? Like I just have to laugh. Like viewers of this show, like progressives, have to just feel like they're in the upside down when they hear Republicans <laughs> saying, "Oh, the FBI, <laughs> yes, that's the home of woke progressive <laughs> liberals." Like the, F- the FBI, the FBI. Right? Like, <laughs> Did you read a book about Martin Luther King? Like, no, you, Tim. Have they haven't read a book about Martin Luther King. It's illegal to read books about Dr. King in red states. They're not allowed to read it because they actually, they're afraid of history. But all they want is what they think is this nobility of being the victims. News flash to the right. Ain't none of us liked it. Didn't want it. Everyone would give back the, nobil- the nobility in a heartbeat in order to be treated fairly and equally. And y'all are against that, too. Uh, Tim Miller and Peter Strzok. I don't get it. Uh, thank you all very much. Really appreciate you still ahead. What is happening? No one is above the law. Well, except maybe apparently Teflon Don. I mean, how the heck is he still free as a bird? Look, speaking of somebody who wants nobility, uh, cheating his way to golf victories after what appear to be blatant legal offenses. The readout stays after this. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's OMRI certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. We are following another new update in one of the many criminal investigations into Donald Trump. Now, there are a lot. I know it's hard to keep track of them all, but this is in regards to the hush money payments made to porn star Stormy Daniels. Now, you'll remember Michael Cohen, Trump's former attorney, went to prison for signing those checks to Daniels for keeping quiet during the 2016 campaign about her alleged affair with Trump. And Trump, although directly implicated in Cohen's sentencing memo as individual one, was let off the hook. When Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg chose not to prosecute after the grand jury wrapped up last year, much to the dismay of many who worked on the case, including one of the leading prosecutors, Mark Pomerantz, who writes in his new book that the office was just weeks away from filing criminal charges against Trump at the end of 2020. Well, now the wheels are once again in motion as Bragg convened a new grand jury to investigate those same allegations against the twice impeached former president. Just yesterday, Michael Cohen sat down with prosecutors for the 15th time and says a date for a 16th meeting has already been been set. But skeptics might look at this and say, so what? We've seen this time and time again. Trump is investigated for a crime with a mountain of evidence against him. And just when you think he's going to finally be held legally accountable for one of his many misdeeds, nothing. What might seem like pretty a pretty obvious crime that for you or, or me would result in jail time, he gets away with, scot-free which is what one of my next guests writes about in his new book, is actually pretty common. 
for the rich and the powerful. Surprise, surprise. Joining me now is Michael Cohen, former personal attorney to Donald Trump and author of Disloyal. And Ellie Honig, former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York and author of the new book, Untouchable, How Powerful People Get Away With It. And I have my copy right here. Excited to read it. But I want to start with you, Michael. You've been interviewed. You've got going in for a 16th interview. In your mind, what is different now than before? Because attorney Alvin Bragg seemed to be declining this case. And now it's sort of reopened. There's very little that's different. It's relatively the same information that Alvin Bragg is processing on his own. Let's not forget that Cy Vance ended up leaving. Now, Cy Vance could have easily brought the case. But then again, Alvin Bragg would then inherit it. So I think Cy did the right thing. But Alvin Bragg needed to get caught up to speed. And I think he felt pressured. And so he backed away. Mm -hmm. And I think what we have to do is Give the guy, we have to give the guy a little room, right? Um, Everybody's using these metaphors of transportation, aviation, right? That the plane wasn't ready to take off. Well, okay, let's stay on that same, you know, that same genre. And what we'll do is we'll say, right now, the plane is taxiing. And we're getting real close to the runway, right? At the end of the day, what's the goal? The destination that you're intending, that destination will be had. Well, you know, there, there are two different cases that I feel like you are intrinsically knowledgeable about. There is this case that we have the check. We'll put it on, on the, these checks. The reimbursement went to you from him, from Donald Trump himself. There is no way around it. You were not having an affair with Stormy Daniels. No. He was, right? So, so that seems so clear. But then the other one was you testified to the fact that he was revaluing, devaluing, and then upping the value of his properties. You testified to that under oath before Congress that he was doing that. That has resulted in him getting some fines. He was fined for some of that behavior. But do, do you feel that at this point he appears untouchable? No. In fact, let's take a look so far what Alvin Bragg has accomplished. Uh, they've already held the Trump Organization accountable. Minor fine, $1.6 million sure. when you're worth $10 billion, if not more, right? Then, of course, you also have uh, the Alan Weisselberg matter. We now have the Attorney General, our unsinkable, you know, Tish James. It's going to take a lot of money off of the out of the Trump coffers. Yeah. Let's be leg- you know, real about that sure. one. So he is being held accountable. And each and every day, he's held more and more count. You know, a lot of people don't realize, for example, there was the case of Galicia. That's where they beat up the protesters Mm -hmm. in front. He paid on that one. Now, we don't know how much because it's under gag. But at the end of the day, he is actually held accountable. It's the same myth that gets perpetuated. Oh, Donald Trump, he's untouchable. No, it's not true. He is touchable. And I do have faith in Alvin Bragg. I will say this as well that I was very impressed with Mark Pomerantz and Carrie Dunn. Mm-hmm. I've actually, after 10 sessions with them, three additional when I was in Otisville, I was very impressed with Alvin, with um, Cy Vance's team, with Mark Pomerantz, Carrie Dunn, and the whole group of them. Right. I'm equally impressed with this group as well. They, okay. they got up to speed very quickly. Mm-hmm. They're knowledgeable. They know there's a lot of information that they had to go through. They know the information and they're preparing. That makes me feel good. But because now I'm going to this book, which is going to make me feel bad. Because the reality is, you know, you how powerful people get away with it. How do they do it? Yeah. So if you look at Michael Cohen's case, the hush money payments, the simple fact that the only person who's ever been held meaningfully accountable in a criminal context is this guy, Michael Cohen, who was essentially a bagman. He was a pass through right. for the checks. 
is indefensible and outrageous. And in that book, I have reporting from really the flip side of Michael's book. Michael tells what it was like to be prosecuted sure. for those hush money payments. I have the story in here of what was happening inside my former office, the Southern District of New York, when they prosecuted Michael. And there's this really important and I think interesting moment when it comes January 2021. Trump is now leaving office and the Southern District of New York has to decide, well, what do we do? Now we can indict him. Right. And they've already, you know, Michael's already been in jail by yeah. this point. And they decide, we know what they decide. They said no. And the reasons, I think, are going to be disturbing to some people. The reasons were not directly related to the evidence. The team felt they did have evidence of Trump's involvement. Michael said it. I mean, the Southern District of New York did not fully credit Michael. He disagrees with this, but they, they did not take him as a cooperator. But the evidence, I mean, they say it in the sentencing memo. Mm-hmm. Michael Cohen acted for and at the direction of individual, individual one. one. Yeah. Right. But they were thinking about political concerns. One, one prosecutor on the team phrased it to me as, quote, prudential concerns with indicting a former president. They also felt at the time that Trump had done so many other things. This is weeks after January 6th that by then the hush money scheme had sort of receded in the memory. It was maybe fifth or sixth on the list. And so yeah. they gave him a pass. That to me, is completely unjust. I mean, I think everyone agrees. Now, will he remain untouchable? I think the signs are increasingly present that he will be indicted by Mm -hmm. somebody. I think the DA in Fulton County is the most likely. But indictment's one thing, and conviction's very, very different. Every day that passes, I think that task gets more and more difficult for prosecutors. And the thing is, I think what what, what makes people disturbed about this this system is that it feels like if you— I mean, Trump has been equated to a mob boss. So if you present violence as a possibility among your supporters, it's almost inoculative, right? It almost lets you get away with more crime because people are so afraid of what your people might do as a result. I want to play a soundbite for you guys. This is Jamie Raskin, because we're talking about weaponization tonight. That's one of the topics on the show. This is what Jamie Raskin had to say about the weaponization of government that relates to you. Michael Cohen, take a look. After Cohen was in prison for a year and then being transferred out of prison to home confinement during COVID-19, Barr and the DOJ intervened to block his transfer because Cohen would not immediately accept as a condition of his ankle bracelet home confinement not to engage in First Amendment activities, specifically writing and publishing a book about Donald Trump or saying anything in public on TV or in the social media about Donald Trump. Can you think of a more egregious example of weaponizing the Department of Justice for nakedly political purposes than imprisoning and putting in solitary confinement the president's own former lawyer simply because he wanted to exercise his First Amendment rights. I'm going to give Michael the last word, but Ellie, that could be the opening to your book. I mean, you want to talk about weaponization. Bill Barr should be witness number 1A. I mean, nobody, that was my first book, actually, nobody (laughs) has weaponized DOJ like Bill Barr. I mean, he was dishonest. He used the office for nakedly political purposes, not least of which was throwing Michael back in jail for not basically agreeing to be silent on his book. I think it was an outrage. And and I I do give Michael credit. I mean, he's been through a lot. And and you want to talk weaponization, get Bill Barr up there. There you go. There you go. You know, one of the things that I want to ensure is that this never happens to another American ever again. And I will continue to fight every single day. I will continue to make my voice heard because I have that platform. So I will use it in order to ensure that people like Donald Trump, people like Bill Barr and the Donald Trump 2.0s that want to come next time 
and do the same to people like yourself. You're probably on Donald's on Donald's enemies list. Probably you too, Ellie. Anybody that says anything negative yeah. will be on his on his um, enemies list. I don't want to see this ever happen to anyone ever again. Yeah. Well, thank you both for being here. It is a frightening story about the what power could, what power being used against individual Americans, I think, is the most frightening use of it. Michael Cohen, Ellie Honig, thank you both Thanks, very much. And up next, new developments and new allegations involving the former Memphis office, Memphis police officers accused of beating Tyree Nichols to death. We'll bring you the very latest after this. Thank you both. We're learning more about what happened on the night of January 7th as five officers brutalized Tyree Nichols. On Tuesday, the state released documents from the Memphis Police Department's request to decertify the five former officers charged in Nichols' death. The picture that emerges is shocking and deeply troubling, but really not all that surprising. The documents revealed that the officer who pulled Nichols from his car, Demetrius Haley, never explained why he was being stopped. We also learned that he admitted to taking photographs of Nichols as he lay propped against a police car and then sent the photos to other officers and a female acquaintance. Those documents are not part of the state's case. They are part of a disciplinary file that may not be used in court when the officers go on trial. Haley, along with Desmond Mills Jr., Tadarius Bean, Justin Smith, and Emmett Martin III, were all fired and charged with second-degree murder. We've also learned that there are two new allegations against some of the same officers. A new federal lawsuit was filed on Tuesday accusing them of using excessive force and violating the rights of another man in the same neighborhood. Additionally, a local news station spoke with a woman who warned the Memphis Police Department about Demetrius Haley using aggressive force. Joining me now is NBC News correspondent Antonia Hilton, who's just back from Memphis, where she's been doing brilliant reporting on the beating death of Tyree Nichols. It is such an honor to have you here with Thank me. Thank you, Joy. Um, so lay this out for me, because it feels like this case feels like a lot of things, but not a traffic stop. And it's interesting to learn definitively that there was never a statement, this is why I'm pulling you over. And there's lots of rumor mail out there, but it, it, it feels like a case that, you know, from everyone I've talked to that feels like some sort of a personal vendetta. Do we have any reporting on that fleshes out what we saw happen? I can tell you what the community is talking about. But as of right now, there is no known connection between Demetrius Haley and Tyree Nichols. What I can tell you is that this has sort of been like an onion where every day, every couple of days, we start to find out more about these officers' behavior, what people may or may not have known, and that all of this has fueled a lot of local speculation. And so the rumor in the community there has been, Demetrius Haley must have known Tyree Nichols. Why else take these photos, send them around, not just to other members of the department, but to people who had no affiliation with city or police work at all, including right. an unnamed woman. And so that has fueled all of this rumor. But the family and their attorney, Benjamin Crump, They've said time and time and again, we don't know of any connection. You know, right now we want people focused on the reforms we're asking for, respect for his life. Please, you know, if we do find out more, we will let you know. But right now we don't know any part of that. But I think some of this... um, I would caution people from thinking about this too much as a story where it's about one officer versus Tyree. Because these documents you just laid out... They show a pattern, and I'll use a word that's repeated in these documents, deceitful behavior. What we see is not just photos taken of Tyree as he's bloodied, slumped over, clearly in distress, that are taken by an officer. They're also joking around. They don't seem to be affected at all by the violence that's just been perpetrated there. But there are also all these ways in which they lay out 
What happened after the fact and continued deceit from that point forward? For example, Emmett Martin, the officer who claims, you can hear at one point, saying that Tyree reached for my gun. There's no evidence of that in the video. They lay out that investigators gave him a chance to tell the truth and that he chose not to. So even after filling out the forms improperly, then being given a chance to tell the truth again, he chooses not to. Other officers, of course, are involved in the filing of this report. They lay out the way in which they spoke to Tyree, calling him the B word and other extremely demeaning terms. While Tyree was very polite, uses words like please and what did I do? He's genuinely asking them questions. And so there's this pattern of behavior both on the scene and after the fact that's starting to be established here. And whether or not there ends up being a personal connection between any of them, a lot of people in the community right now just want to understand how did these officers not just get on the police force in Memphis, but how did they end up on an elite squad? That's right. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, the thing is, is the, the thing that's familiar about this story is that you have this group with a name that sounds scary, right? Scorpion unit. That doesn't sound like that's there to help the community. That has this history that starts to unfold. We saw this in the Michael Brown case where you find out police were stopping African-Americans trying to build up revenue by, you know, giving them fines. You see this pattern. So in this case, we're now up to 13 officers who are in some way getting disciplinary action. We're talking about the Shelby County DA. You confirmed that there there is going to now be an investigation of all of the cases that they've done in the past. Uh, To me, this doesn't feel like a thing that happened and the, the community says, oh, this is an isolated thing. When you spoke to people in the community, has this unit been terrorizing folks before? Well, our colleague Dion Hampton talked to a man who not only had been terrorized by police, but had had an interaction with some of these exact same officers just three days before what happened to Tyree Nichols. But also, as I just talked to people in the community, because I was there for three weeks, I had plenty of time to talk to people, both formally in interviews while I was eating food, running my errands. Consistently, I heard, well, we knew this. Yeah. Not just about this unit. But this city has had a problem with policing for a long time. Yep. Particularly black residents have felt disrespected. And they've had a knowledge that this violence could come from any officer. And I say that because I think a lot of people like to think about this story as just black versus white. And there's been a lot of, well, well, why are you complaining about the culture of policing if these officers look like you? People there in Memphis say, this isn't really new for us. We've been raising these questions. We've had these concerns. And it's they're grateful that the DA, that uh, Chief Davis of the police department, they've come forward and they've talked to reporters. But there's also kind of a question of, well, why wasn't this the standard before? Right. Because this isn't actually the first yeah. incident. And yeah. this is the first time someone has died. That's right. But there are other men yep. who have not just told our colleagues, but other reporters, yep. other papers, very similar patterns of behavior. Yeah. Whenever you have a story like this, know that this was just the one where somebody died. That if police forces are operating this way, they've been operating this way. Great. Excellent reporting. And Tony Hilton, thank you. Thank Thank you you. so much for being here. We really, really appreciate you. Okay. As the death toll in Turkey and Syria climbs over 20,000. Search teams are in a race against the clock to find any survivors. More on that devastating earthquake next. Thank you. The horrific death toll from the earthquake that hit Turkey and Syria is now over 20,000 people. Teams are racing to rescue people in freezing weather, but there's still some hope of finding more survivors. NBC's Gabe Gutierrez has the latest from southeast, southeastern Turkey. Joy, it's been a remarkable scene here. Just within the past few hours, we saw one person, a 57-year-old woman, 
pulled out alive from this debris behind me. Search crews have now moved in this excavator, so it's a little difficult to see what's going on, but there's one group over there and yet another group over there still looking for survivors here. Now, rescue crews tell us that this woman was conscious, that she was alive and speaking with them, and that she somehow managed to survive inside a very small space inside that debris, and she's now been rushed to the hospital. Search teams think there could be at least one other person trapped alive inside behind me. Now, Joy, this is something we've been seeing over and over again as all this international aid comes to this area. There has been some criticism of the government that they weren't able to mobilize search teams quickly enough. But, Joy, it's also a question of the sheer scope of this disaster. There are two U.S. search and rescue teams now in southeastern Turkey, but there is just so much overwhelming need. We visited a tent camp just a block from here that's been set up where thousands of people are now desperate trying to find food and shelter as the temperatures get bitterly cold overnight. Now, today, thankfully, the U.N. Uh, was able to send a humanitarian aid convoy from Turkey into northwestern Syria, of course, a country rocked by civil war and now this natural disaster. They um, are having a very tough time over there. Only 5% of the sites that apparently need search and rescue teams have had access to them, according to the U.N., and more than 300,000 people are displaced in Syria. Meanwhile, here in Turkey, you can see active search and rescue operations are continuing into now a fifth day here around the clock. All this as the death toll from these devastating earthquakes have now topped 20,000 people across Turkey and Syria. Joy? Wow, Gabe Gutierrez, thank you. Just terrific. Um, That is tonight's readout. Here you are, BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. 